I will do my thing. You know, when Jana was standing there talking about those pears, I was just thinking about what Jesus told me. Oh, it's been several years ago. He said that there's going to be so many fish in the end times harvest that, that you, yes. you, you'll have to give fish away. Yes. So many fish that you have to give fish away. That, uh, you know, the catch will be so good. Yes. You know, like a pastor will be a pastor in a church and he'll have so many fish coming in the front door, you know, that uh, he has to call other pastors after the Sunday morning service and say, Pastor, can you take a few people off my hands? I had 15 new families join my church this week and it was from the harvest that my reapers had done in the church. Can you take... At least five or ten off of my hands. That's a little different than going and stealing fish out of another man's church. Isn't it? Isn't that different? just a totally different mindset? And that's what the Lord showed me is that there would be so many fish that the pastors would have to give fish away or they'd have to start. You know what's happening in the Philippines is they're, they're planting churches because they get so many fish coming in. Uh, through the you know through the harvest, and it's not you know this is generated by the the training that we do in our mission center. We uh, I told y'all about this last year about the mobile seminars. You remember that talking about the mobile seminars, and uh, uh, anyway, we had several of them. Like for instance, one in Palawan. It took me three or four years to get a a training in Palawan. And then this year we had three trainings in Palawan. And we trained them up in the mountain country, in the mountains, which are about 70 kilometers inland. This is an island that's uh, got about 200 and something thousand people on it. And so we trained a bunch of the tribal ministers, pastors. And we trained a group of uh, pastors in... uh, part of uh, Porta Princesa, which is the largest city there in Palawan. And then we trained a group, another group of pastors on the other side of the city. And so we did three trainings there total. And, uh, man, they've got some evangelism going on in that. You know, if you set a fire somewhere, it just keeps spreading like that. And that was one of the prophecies given over us years ago in River Road, fellowship there was a prophecy given over that uh that we would light fires and the fires would just be all you know jump from island to island and that's what's happening it's it's just incredible so anyway uh for those of you i keep wanting to grab the do something with this so i'm gonna take it and put it over here so i don't think about it anymore because <laughs> I, I i use a hand carry or a hand uh held Mike quite a bit so that way it gets it out of my sight and I won't try to use it <laughs> but praise the Lord you know that you know this church here uh, is very significant in Callie and I's life and that uh, I was a real estate man in Amarillo Texas and had uh, 60% market share out at Lake Tanglewood at the time that uh, I came over here, and that was in February of 97. How many years is that? This is 2005. February will be 19 years. 19 years. 
19 years ago, I laid right there in the floor for four and a half hours. Got smoked by the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I remember thinking that those those uh, fluorescent lights in the ceiling were heated up, you know, because I was standing there like this and lifting my hands, and it was before the service start, and I just fell over. I, I told Callie before I fell over, I said, man, those lights are sure hot up there. <laughs> and I roared and cried. I, you know, I cried and wailed and... You know, laughed uncontrollably, everything under the sun. Many of you were here during that thing. How many of you were here during that service? Do you remember? Quite a few of you. So, that was, I was a mess in that thing, wasn't I? And, uh, you know, I got up from there and, or, uh, you know, the, first of all, I didn't get up from there. <laughs> they picked me up from there. They tried to get me up, and they four four cowboys. Was you included in that? Four people tried to pick me up, and uh, they couldn't even budge my arms off the. I, you know how you just lay your arm on something like that. They couldn't. Big guys couldn't even pick that arm up off of the. You remember that? I was under the weight of glory, guys, right here in this church. That's why when I walk in this sanctuary, I start getting hit by the Spirit of God. You know, because it still, it just resonates in here. You guys don't know how good you got it. You know, people in town, they talk about how weird you are, you know, right? But, my goodness, they're the ones that are weird. (laughs) We're peculiar. That's what we are. But anyway... After I got touched by God, I wasn't, you know, I left this church, went home for seven hours under the fire of God. I was seven more hours under the fire of God. I came out of that at a, after 11 and a half hours under the fire, and I wasn't any earthly good anymore. I was totally, <laughs> I was just not any earthly good. I was a real estate man, but no longer did I want to be a real estate man. I mean, it just completely wiped, just burned all that out of me. And I spent two two more months of being hit by the fire of God every so many hours. About every three days, I'd get hit by the fire of God and be wiped out for three or four hours. And it just kept burning me up, burning me up, burning me up, consuming me. You know, when you burn something up, it can, it's turned into ashes, you know, and it talks about it over in Isaiah about, you know, was it Isaiah 61? Where I'll give you beauty for ashes. And so I, you know, I went, I became no earthly good. <laughs> and just my my brain, you know, I just couldn't think on that level anymore. And so it kind of wiped me out in my real estate business. I mean, I had to lay that all down after a few months. <coughs> And I worked about part-time for several years selling a little bit of real estate and then going on mission trips and doing stuff like that. And we went to the Philippines that first year in October of uh, 1997, did our first seminar, and we did a pastoral. We had did some pastor seminars there in uh, Manila, not in Manila, in uh, Sirigao. 
I didn't go back to Sirigal for 18 years. I went there this year and did a seminar. Did two of them. Did, did three of them, counting the one in Sirigal, which is an island right off of Sirigal. I, I hope that's not... <laughs> I know you know right where that's at. It's over there close to two of you. Right? Anyway, uh, but significant thing about that is, you know, whenever we leave in the Philippines back in 97, I swore I'd never come back. I, I, you know, I got on the airplane and I adjusted the air con in the ceiling. I think I've told you all this before. But I said, Callie, I shall not return. I swore I'd never come back to the Philippines. Now, you don't want to do that. No. <laughs> you know, because we're there permanently. I mean, we even have a, we have a big mission center there and stuff that's almost paid for. And God has just done unbelievable things. We're, we have classes going on at the mission center, classes going on in mobile missions, you know, where they go to other islands. And some of those, many times, I don't even go. I don't even go with my staff. They just go do it. And when they go do it, it, they get the same powerful results that I get when I'm doing the class myself. And you know what the pastors say about it when they take the classes? They come in, some of them kicking and screaming. You know, that's the way God gets our attention. Sometimes, you know, we have to be put into a position where we don't want to be there. We hate. School, we hate class. Oh, I don't want to do a practicum. So all these things, you know. And they'll come up with every excuse on the world why they, you know, they, they should go home or something. And that first day, some of them are kicking and screaming. And they start, all their religious uh, aspirations start coming out. Uh, recently, in a, in a class, one of the pastors said, got up in front of all the class members, he says, there's not but only 144,000 people going to be in. Of course, he wasn't speaking in Texan. I can't. I don't know. I can't speak in Tagalog right now, but or the Filipino English. Uh, but he said, "There's only going to be 144,000 in heaven." I mean, and then he come out with something else. I don't. I forget what it was, but it was something really, relig- real religious. Any of you know anything about religion? You know, anyway, he was just real religious. And I think the other pastors were just shaking their heads too, you know. But uh, I told my, I told my, she came upstairs and told me what he had said. And I said, well, send him, uh, just send him home. And she said, she looked at me, she says, oh no, he needs to take that first class. He needs to take your first class, you know, because I hadn't taught the lecture yet, so the first class and that was just the time of orientation when all that come out and she said let him sit through that see what happens well at the end of the class he was our number one student he made a hundred on every test that we gave him which is very very unusual he won like 60 or 70 people to the Lord in the practicums. Practicums are where you take people out. The The individuals go out and they go on doing street evangelism. 
Most of them have never done street evangelism. Most of these pastors and leaders in the church have never done any form of street evangelism. And they go out and win, you know, hundreds of people to the Lord. And so this guy was our top student. He won more people, made more presentations than anybody else. And he was the one that was barking the most at the very beginning. And at the end of that thing, he was our top top student. And so, you know, I'm I'm thankful I've got such good staff members because I would have just told him to go home. You know. After I talked to him, of course. If he was still gonna stay with that type of stuff. But but Remy knew what to do. So anyway, I I uh we get on the trip and they had a class this week, twenty two students. 22 pastors came to take the class. And the name of our our school is Dunamis International School of Missions. And it, it, we have a training center there in Manila. And uh, the, the course that we're teaching is stealth evangelism. Stealth means undetected, flying like, like a plane flying undetected. If, if you go under the radar... And so it's called Stealth Evangelism, and it's the Stealth Evangelism program. So I'm sitting there, you know, they're, tra- they're teaching that program this week, or last week. They had 22 pastors, and it started just like that one before. They had, she had three pastors in there that were just belly aching and saying all kinds of religious stuff and saying, why do you have to make so many presentations of the... You know, why do you set a, a, you know, a quota and all that stuff? And they, they said, that's not God, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I, <laughs> I didn't tell her what to do on that one. She just handled it. But at the end of the class, all those pastors apologized. One of them got up in front of the whole class, and he was one of the top students. And he got up and apologized for even opening his mouth. And he said, he said that he had no idea what he was doing. It humbled them all. That's what happens, is they get a breakthrough in evangelism, a breakthrough, every last one of them. You know what? We've been 13 years doing this, and they all get breakthroughs. They all have breakthroughs there. Now, one of the wonderful things about that environment in Manila is that we have so many people so many lost people to witness to there. You've got, you got equally amount of, in per capita, you have an equal amount of lost people here too. In the, the good old United States, you've got just as many lost people here as we do over there. <laughs> you know, actually probably more because there's only 100 million Filipinos. But uh, you've got that. You know, I don't know if y'all realize it, but probably... Uh, about 90% of the world is lost. Did you realize that? How many of you thought it was 50 or 60%? It's 90%. About 800 million to, uh, could, could be uh, 1,000 million Christians, but it's more like 800 million, counting the Chinese. Chinese got a couple of hundred million of that. 
more than the United States, more Christians in China. And they're real Christians. They're born again. And I mean, they're, you know, they're, their whole life's dedicated to Christ because, you know, you better be dedicated because you may go to jail for it over there. We're approaching that here, aren't we? I, you know, the, the one thing that we really, it'd be good if we could, if we could just get fathom what it's like. There's nine-tenths of the population in the world lost. And those people don't have the sweet opportunity to sit and listen to music that we got to listen to and feel the presence of God the way we felt a while ago, you know, when the singing, the music, and they don't know that. They do not know what we get to experience. We just get, you know, this is just an everyday thing for us. Yet nine-tenths of the population of the world is lost. Guys, we've only got one life to live here, and it's short. Praise God, I'm going to be 70 next year. And I ain't going to sit down until I die. I'm not going to stop until I die. I don't know when when that'll be, but, you know, time's ticking, guys. For you young people, it's just beginning. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to be young and know what we know now? But I got some good news for you. You know, there's bad news out there. News. Did I push the button? I mean, well, okay. Some of the good news is that uh, the Lord has opened the opportunity for, first of all, we videotaped two different uh, sessions of our stealth evangelism program. We did, did the whole program, videotaped it. And the guy that videotaped it was one of the, one of the uh, he's what you'd call a world-class video man. And he's, he was 18 years with um, Benny Hinn. He's now joined with John Hagee. And when I met him, he was with Joyce Meyer. But uh, the guys travel all over the world with all the ministries you can think of. Reinhard Bonnke, everybody that you can think of that's a big boy, he's been with them. And he's a video editor, director, the whole thing. He's putting the video training together. And, of course, our training is like none other. And it's taken all these years and evolved for all these years. It's, you know, the evolution of it. Even since you took that class, it's evolved since then. You remember that? It's evolved. It just keeps evolving every year. And, you know, by the time I think it's done and it's evolved, then something else comes up. But it's, it's really so good now that it's, it's blowing pastors' minds. They take the course and every last one of them will come up and they'll say, my life will never be the same. I'll never be the same. My church will never be the same. All these different statements come out of them. I mean, bar none of them. There's just not anybody that leaves that place going, oh, well, I'm glad that's over with. You know, it's that most of them want to stay more days. You know, the last practicum that they do, the street evangelism, I mean, they're just like everybody else. I don't want to do. I don't want to go out on the street and witness to strangers. 
I'm scared to death of that. That's what the way they come in the door like that. But when they leave the last practicum, my 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 office manager. She's more than an office manager. She's my comptroller or whatever. Man, she just does everything. I mean, a lady can she can do the seminar, do the training, do the whole thing herself. You know, but. When they do in that last practicum, she can't hardly get them to come home. She, these pastors, they say, no, we, can we stay out a little longer? Can we stay out a little longer? And they, consequently, what's supposed to be a two-hour practicum is usually three, three and a half hours, that last one, because they just can't get enough, and they don't want to stop. And they don't even want the seminar to stop. Now, when's the last time you've been to anything educational that you didn't want to go home at the end? And these guys don't want to go home. They're all sitting there at the door just not wanting to leave. It breaks your heart. (laughs) But, you know, hopefully they'll take, they take what they get there and they go back and apply it. And man, it's unbelievable the stories we get from them. You know, they start, uh, they have a church with 15 people and then all of a sudden within months they've got 200 people in their church and they planted another church of 150 and stuff like that just unimaginable things if you're a pastor you know what i'm talking about you know just to be able to see churches evolve that fast grow that fast and that's what we need if we're going to win if we're going to win nine-tenths of the population of the world we need stuff like that amen and I, I, the other day, I was sitting here just trying to think about how much a soul cost. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a real joke. Uh, when it comes to our ministry, I'm, I'm talking about our ministry, not just every ministry, because some, some ministries, they cost a lot of money for a per, per soul. But in something where you're multiplying, it becomes, the, the, the figures are phenomenal. Because I was trying to think of maybe 25 cents a soul. Well, yeah, that's for the, when you train the group. If you just take the group and how much it costs to put the seminar on, how much we spent, and how much you put our overhead and everything in there, it comes out about 25 cents a head probably for souls. So every time we, every month, you know, we're, (laughs) that's about what it is. But... You know, when you go to thinking about it, all right, if we go in and train 50 pastors like we just did recently down in uh, Sierra Gal, which is an island off of Surigao, <laughs> it's hard for me to even say that, uh, we went down there and trained 50 pastors, all right, they represent 50 churches. Each church is, char- is trained, and they train the pa- we train the pastor. He goes back to his church and trains up to 10 people, not more. Because if he trained more, he would flood the church and he would, it would overwhelm him. You can't imagine being overwhelmed, but you can be overwhelmed. If this church was sitting in Manila, they'd fill this church up the first, first week or two and then fill it up again, and then you'd have to plant a church. I mean, you'd have, you could fill four services up with this thing. And then do it again, and then plant another church, and that's what they're doing. They they fill their church up and get it to where it's running three or four services, whatever they can 
physically handle, and then they go and plant another church and put a pastor over it. Isn't that awesome? Well, the cost of a soul. When you start dividing into that and looking at it, how many souls? Because that goes on and on and on for as long as those people live and as long as the people that they win to the Lord. You know, a pastor goes and trains 10 people. Those, those people start winning about 150 people per month. Just with, one, with the, pre, the, the first assignment they're given. And that's they're, they're to make two presentations of the gospel every week, each one of them. So that's 20 presentations per week. And that always grows because, you know, if you were required, any of you were required to make two presentations every week and you had a powerful tool like the stealth evangelism tool in you, you would first of all win two people to the Lord, two to four people probably. Okay? If you're doing that every week, you tell me, would you not get sensitive where everywhere you went, you'd start, you'd be like a bloodhound. <laughs> Could you hear that? You'd be like a bloodhound. Everywhere you, if you were going for an appointment with an executive and you were sitting in the foyer, you'd be looking at the, uh, the receptionist in the foyer and you'd have your magazine open, you'd look over the receptionist, you'd say, how long you been working here? Five minutes later, she's born again. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking you. That's exactly what would happen. because you, And you just get sensitive like that. Where if you were at a toot and totem, and you were sitting there buying your Coke and doing whatever you were doing at the toot and totem, and then the person that you were talking to, the store was empty, or there wasn't but one other person in there, you just start a conversation with, how long have you been working here? Where do you live at? How long have you been here in Hartford? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Five minutes later, they born again. Can you imagine that? How many of you would like to see that happen? Huh? See? Well, when we get the Stealth Evangelism tra- video training program, completed this year, or 2016. In 2016, it's going to be packaged two ways. One for the individual, one for the church, for the pastor. When we package it up, put 10 Bibles, 10 manuals, 10 tests of all the different tests, or there's all the different tests. There'll be the the, uh, hard copy, uh, of all the tests and everything. everything will be in that package, just like if they came to our school and took that class. And then you get the video training, just like it's done in class. Imagine it's going to, and you know, you can sit right in your home and train yourself to win people to the Lord in five minutes and not make people mad. Because that stealth evangelism, it's, it's stealth. You go in under their radar. You don't. You don't trigger anything. You don't make them mad. How many of you have ever witnessed somebody that got upset with you? Huh? If you've witnessed it all, you've done that. So why didn't all the hands go up? 
You know the number one, one reason that we don't witness? I'm saying we, everybody, so you don't think you're the only one. You know why? Fear of rejection. You know what causes fear of rejection? The second number one reason. Not knowing what to say. If you don't know what to say. A good example of that was me. Back in uh, 1970, something like that. 1970, a long time ago. Goodness, that's a long time. 45 years. <laughs> I went to Lubbock, Texas, took a job at the uh, Ford dealership there. And I was, I'd already been a car salesman for a short period of time. Took that job there. And uh, I didn't know how to sell new cars. And I, I didn't ever sell any, I didn't sell the Fords. And so I didn't know anything about them. I stood out there on that showroom for two weeks. Somebody come in the door and I'd, I'd get a magazine. I'd just walk around and I'd just try to figure out a way to get away from them. That's how we do witnessing. We sit there and look. We see the people sitting there having some coffee. Oh, oh, I'd like to witness to them. But I just don't know what to say. That's what you're saying inside of yourself. And so you just pass. Every time you pass, you know, those people, they're going on into eternity without that word. Say, It's because we don't know what to say. Well, look, I spent... Two weeks on that showroom, passing, not waiting on people. Finally, the manager called me into his office. He said, Tony, you're not a salesman. You're an order taker. You need to go to, Montgomery, go to work for Montgomery Wards in the appliance department. That's what he said to me. And he fired me. So, you know, he said I wasn't a salesman. Let's see. Three, three years later, I broke the record at Sid Stout Ford in Amarillo for the most cars ever sold in a month. Retail cars. I became the number one salesman in the city that same year. Sold more cars, retail cars than anybody. So was I a salesman? Was he right? No, he was dead wrong, wasn't he? Well, the devil's wrong too, telling you you can't win souls. You know, being a, being a, being able to win souls or being a soul winner has nothing to do with the way you look, how you smile. Because one of the best soul winners I ever saw was a little lady about 55 years old. And she was in a group of 24 pastors, and she was the church cook. And she wore her dress right to here, and she had a sock comes up to here, and then one of them that was just right over there, and it was white socks with black loafer-type things. She was as corny-looking as you get. When she opened her mouth, her mouth looked like a jack-o'-lantern. Her mouth looked like a jack-o'-lantern. She, just so many teeth. 
And she'd smile at you. And you'd have to smile. You'd have to smile when she smiled at you. <laughs> Cutest smile you'd ever see. I wouldn't fix her teeth for anything. Because she'd just make you smile. Because she'd look at you and you just... <laughs> You just want to smile, you know. Well, that woman at the end of the class won more souls. She won 120 or something like that souls. All those pastors with their polo shirts and and their real fancy clothes and barongs like this right here, you know. All them with all their nice dress and they look so clean cut. And then here she was, you know. And she'd get out there, just win those souls right and left, out there on the street. So I'm telling you, it's got nothing to do with the way you look. It's got everything to do with what you say. The words that you say. It's called the sickle. See, it's, it's how sharp that sickle is that counts. It's not how you look. It's not whether you're extrovert or introvert. It's whether you've got the tool. If you got a sharp sickle, the blades like this, you know, a sickle. You ever seen a sickle, you know, a handheld sickle? So a sharp blade curves like that, and it's just razor sharp. Has nothing to do, see, with the way you look, how extrovert you are, introvert you are. Has everything to do with how sharp that sickle is. And so that's what we're putting in people putting a sharp sickle in there that is very transferable. Transferable means that uh, that's kind of an apostolic thing when it's transferable. If anything's going to be apostolic, it's got to be transferable, multipliable, transferable. Things Dorman does, he's just so trans... Everything he does is transferable. That's why, that's why he's an apostle. you got an apostle for a pastor. Because the stuff that he does is very transferable. And that's what we do in our school. We teach the pastor, and he transfers it to his people. Say, And then you create multitudes of not just souls, but witness, you know, reapers. Just multitudes of reapers. And if you win, get enough people trained with the tool, they'll win the world. One the prophecy that was given right here in this church, I was sitting somewhere right in there, and um, Dr. James Maloney spoke this over us. He said, "Exceeding great armies will be raised up under your ministry." And at the time he said that, I was just barely in the ministry. I was still selling real estate. Exceeding great armies will be raised up under your ministry, and they will be the living epistle known and read of me. They will be your ministry. The living epistle means everybody that is born again is an epistle of God. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are a living epistle. And so the Lord told, uh, we have a motto at Dunamis International School of Missions, and that motto it goes like this, it says, Win the Philippines, win the world. Why? Because they have 12 million people abroad out of the Philippines. It's the largest workforce in history. 
I mean, it's a, the largest one of all, all the nations. They have more people all over the planet than anybody. So if you win the Philippines, that means everybody is going to be born again. Most of them will be born again. You win the Philippines, you win the world. Because it could be 12 million missionaries, living epistles everywhere. Amen? Amen. See, how are we going to reach 6 billion people with the gospel? We need a pretty good-sized army, don't we? And what the Lord prophesied right here in this church, exceeding great armies. You know, when he said that, I had no clue what he was talking about. No clue whatsoever. I doubt you didn't either, did you? But it's actually happening. Because I've trained maybe five or five or 6,000 pastors and stuff since we've been doing the pastoral training. And they've trained probably 10,000 people or more. And so millions of people are coming to the Lord. So how much is uh, a soul worth? You know, you sow a dollar. You sow, you sow a dollar into Dunamis International School of Missions or to Revival Fire Ministries. You sow a dollar into it. You're you're going to see the biggest bang for your buck. You you won't see it on earth, guys. The things we're doing, the things we're doing, are not for earthly glory. It's eternal glory. You know, we can't take, you can't take anything on this earth with you except the souls of men. Amen. Can you put that thing up there? West Point in God's Army. That's our mission center. Okay? Go ahead. A permanent thorn in the side of the devil. This facility represents West Point and God's army, training pastors and leaders in powerful evangelism, weapons of warfare, and strategies to wage war against the kingdom of darkness for men's souls. See, that facility is what we're, we're working out of, and we train a lot of pastors out of there, but we're also doing mobile missions. Go ahead and move into that. Uh, how can you help? First, you can support Dunamis Monthly, helping bring the mobile training seminars to as many pastors and leaders on different islands and nations here in Asia and around the world. More mobile training. Go ahead. A permanent presence in Asia. Secondly, get in agreement with us in prayer and hopefully financially that the $55,913 debt against Dunamis International School of Missions Training Center will be paid in full. The paying off the training center will give us a permanent presence in Asia and will release monthly funds to be channeled into the mobile missions. The mobile missions, uh, just hold right there for just a second. Our mobile missions, i tell you what's good about them. We can train 24 at the mission center effectively. But when we go on a mobile mission, we can train up to about 100 for each mobile mission. That means 100 pastors and 100 churches are impacted 
Can you picture that? You know, and what the overall result. Now, when you train 100 people, you know how many people get saved during the seminar just from the training exercises? About five or 6,000 people come to the Lord just from that. Now, and it cost us anywhere, according to whether it's on our island or if we have to fly to another island. And we, most of the time we have to go somewhere else. Because anything we're doing within uh, five hours of Manila is done at our mission center. Now, this last class we had, they, they come from Mendora, an island south of Luzon Island where we're at. And they come from Mindanao, which is way down south. They come from all up north in uh, the uh, Kaguya, um, something Norte... They're, they come from all over the place. There's 22 of them, and we trained them from all over the Philippines. So everywhere that those guys were from, they're going back with that in them, that fire in them, to light a fire in their own area. Amen? So anyway, this mission center represents, it, it's a permanent presence. In other words, if everything goes bad here financially, in the U.S., we're not going to be impacted over there. We're going to keep going. We owe 55000 on that. We went to the Philippines with $12,000. 12000 and we had a car paid for, a van paid for, and one year's advance rent when we hit the Philippines 13 years ago. This mission center is about a, oh, if you put a dollar value, about a million two. One million two hundred thousand. Dollars, and uh, since we bought that thing, it's tripled in value. It's a wonderful place, and boy, you talking about the pastors? They come there, and most of those pastors live in places that they don't have carpet, they don't have tile, they don't have. Some of them have dirt floors, concrete concrete floors, and nothing else. Most of them don't can't even dream of having aircon in their house, air conditioning. And their temperatures get as high as they do over here, except with humidity. And most of them, they can't even put shoes on their kids' feet. Most of the pastors in the Philippines are on poverty level or below poverty level. But every time we train a pastor, his income goes up. Why? Because, you know, first of all, when you train somebody, you you teach them how to win people to the Lord, their churches grow. That means membership grows. They have more members. If they have more members, they have more laborers. If they have more laborers and more members, they have more finances for more ministry. So it's just absolutely more, 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 more all the way. You know, if if people are winning people to Jesus. So these pastors that come into us, and they've been pastoring a church with 20 or 30 people in it forever, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, most of the time people would shut the doors and, and leave that ministry. But these guys stick it out. They got fortitude like nobody I've ever seen. And when they come in the door and they tell, and I ask them, how many people you got in your church? He says, 15. How many people you got in your church? They go, it's 30. I am blessed that they're there. Because they're exactly who I want to be. I want in front of me. Because I'm going to give them the keys. I'm going to give them the keys to success. 
Because by the time I'm finished with them, I'm going to break all that religious tradition and all the garbage off of them that the devil has put in their heads. And they're going to be set free. And they're going to have a breakthrough in evangelism where they can get out bold as a lion. And then they're going to take it back and transfer it to their people. And that church is going to come alive. Because that church was dead. It was dead and now it's alive. I'll give you another story. <laughs> now, y'all just should, just tell me you've had enough anytime. <laughs> but I had, a, I had a pastor one time. This is back before we started training pastors. We were just training churches. And, you know, God showed us to train pastors and put the weapons in their hands so they, that they can transfer it to their people. So, anyway, I was supposed to do a training over in Mar- a place called Marikina. And I, the pastor asked me to come that was hosting the, the meeting. He asked me to come and preach at his church. So I went over there one Sunday. And as I was on the way, I picked him up at a, uh, what they call a Jolly Bee. It's a restaurant. Like a, it's like a McDonald's. And he said, and on the way over to his church, he said, I, asked, I said, how many people, have, are y'all winning anybody to the Lord? He said, no, we hadn't had anybody one to the Lord in seven years. And I said, uh, or he said 20 years. Yeah, he said 20 years. And I said, and you pastored that church there that long? He said, no. He said, I came here seven years ago. And he said, there's not many souls since then. So anyway, I preached at that church on Sunday and um, gave an invitation. Like six people got saved. Well, that's, that wasn't anything to do with anything, okay? I wasn't, that wasn't what I was altogether all there for. But they, six people got saved. So when, on the day that we were supposed to do the training, and all these pastors showed up with their people from their churches and stuff, he only had one person show up. One person from his church. A brand new believer that got saved that Sunday before. <laughs> now, <laughs> that little believer won 200 people to the Lord during the practicums. More than 200 people. That one person. Okay. And then we did that on a Friday or a Saturday. And the, tra- the training has evolved so much since then, it's ridiculous. But. It was good, but even back then, even back then, it was great. But uh, she goes out and wins two hundred people. So Sunday morning, when the Sunday morning services start, that church had arms and legs hanging out the front door. There were so many people. <laughs> All of his people that in his church began coming up to him after the service and said, "When can we be trained? Can can I be trained?" Stuff like that. <laughs> it that one little new believer set a fire in that church. One little old gal, just a young person, and everybody else wanted to. They wanted some of that. So I'm telling you, you know, the harvest. You know, if you have a church that's built on the harvest. That's the most loyal church you could ever ask for because the pastors become mom and dad. You know, when you're brought into a church from the harvest, 
you get saved, and that church is responsible for your salvation, you as a pastor become mom and dad. Now, I don't know how many of you realize it, but proselyting is what most churches have been built on this century or last century. Been, uh, many churches have been built on proselyting. This is not pointing a finger at anybody or any particular denomination or anything else. That's just fact. That's the way they build churches. Go out and build a church. Try to find people that want to come go to your church. And it's usually not done from the harvest. But the key, the real key here, is that when you win somebody to the Lord and you, they become mom and dad, and somebody comes to them and they say, well, listen, now this is in the Philippines, okay? Listen, we got five new air cons in our church, new air conditioners. We got five new air cons, and we got a basketball court. See, and basketball is, that's one of the hottest things over there. They love to play basketball, those little short guys. <laughs> but they love them. <laughs> they love it. And so, but you tell them, aircon, basketball, they leave your church. But not if they're your children. You tell, you tell your son and daughter, somebody tells your son and daughter, oh, we got five new aircon. Well, that's fine, but... We love our pastor. See, the loyalty level. When people come from other churches, they're not as loyal. You know, they're not as loyal. If they weren't loyal to the former pastor, why would they be loyal to you? Amen or oh me? (laughs) Now, guys, that is just a little bitty, 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 teeny taste of what our people in our school get. They get all kinds of, they learn things that, you know, they're not aware of. The fact that a, a harvest church is a church built on the rock. When you build your house upon the rock, it will not blow away at the first storm. You build it on sand, and building on sand is when you proselyte your body. <laughs> It's sand. Nothing else. You build it on the rock, it'll stay there and it'll flourish and it'll withstand all the elements. Amen? So that's what we're in the business of doing is building the churches on the rock. Amen? And with those type of churches, we're going to win the world. Let's go to the next one. Sow seeds for souls. The, the gift that really keeps on giving. <laughs> your, your financial seeds will convert to souls in the kingdom of God. Everyone born again because of the stealth evangelism program will be a full, will be a part of your harvest. You can share in the salvation of the multitudes when you make your contribution to Revival Fire Ministries International. The mission center is being used to train an army of the Lord and will bring millions upon millions of souls into the kingdom. I'm asking you to sow into the kingdom of God and help us retire the mission center debt. $55,000, guys. 55000 and that thing's paid for, and ain't nothing in the world can blow it away. 
Matter of fact, it's a really powerful structure. <laughs> and we'll live way on beyond our, our lives. And Kelly and I even put it in our will that the, the mission center will be continue to be used until such time that it's no longer functioning uh, as a training center. So it's going to continue to go even after we're gone. So praise the Lord, if you want to be a part of something like that and sow into it, I can't think of any place that you can get more bang for the buck in the kingdom of God than sowing into something like that. Paying off that mission center would be a great thing to do. Also, if you want on a monthly basis, man, when you sow monthly into us, like $25, $50, you sow into that, we do mobile seminars with that with that money that comes in. We do mobile seminars, and we're right now we're doing between one and two, sometimes three, in a month. It's according to how many we can work in, and that will grow. If I had more money coming in, it would grow because I don't have to have I don't have to be there for every one of them. I can, I can create teams that can go out. And there's such a demand on us. We Right now, we've got mobile seminars planned up through uh, February, something like that, February, March, that I don't think there's anything beyond that that we've, we've set up. But they just, they, the demand's there, but the finances are not there always. So my wife and I use our Social Security to pay the house payment on the mission center, so... The Social Security money will go towards mobile missions. It'll be channeled into there from then on. So, hey, you want to be a part of Dunamis and part of reaching the world with the gospel? This is a good way to do it. So, and I want to thank you guys. You know, you guys are already sowing into us as a church. You've been sowing into us for, I guess, before we even moved over there. In 2002, when we were first going over there, y'all were already participating, sowing into us at that time. And uh, every year that we come back, which we don't come back every year, but we come back once every year or two, uh, you always have us in and give us and are very generous to us. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being such wonderful partners. We've been able to. Re- Really rely that uh, your your checks there every month, and man, I tell you what, you know it's been it's been a hard thirteen years, but in in another way, it's been not so hard because in that thirteen years, no matter how bad things got, how hard it got, we always trusted the Lord, and sometimes we had to praise God when when we didn't have a thing. We had no money to pay bills and everything. I've seen my wife cry and stuff, you know, but we always made it through it. Always. And I wouldn't, shoot, I wouldn't take any of it back. Would you, honey? It builds character in you to have little little hard times. Anybody agree with that? Doesn't it build your character? And we've learned to trust the Lord. You know, I'm going to share one more thing with you. Just <laughs> one more. <laughs> but uh, in 2006, the Lord told me to stay home. 
because we used to come back and raise money every every year. We'd come back, spend three months over here pounding the pavement, going from church to church, meeting of all sorts, every meeting. We'd do about 60 meetings and then come back to this, the Philippines with this little bit of cash, pay our annual rent that we were paying. We were renting at the time. Oh, my goodness. And rent's gone through the roof since we bought that mission center, too. So we were going, uh, we were paying our annual rent every year that way. And the Lord said, stay home. <laughs> now, guys, I didn't have enough income. Just barely made it, barely was able to pay our bills monthly. And every year we'd have to pay $20,000 is like 800,000, 900,000 pesos for the annual rent because you couldn't pay it monthly. You had to pay it annually. And so the Lord says, stay home. And I mean, this is in February, and the rent's due in April or May. And I don't have two pesos to rub together. And he says, stay home. <laughs> and, I, you know, I was just like Peter. You know, when, when Jesus uh, was on the, on, the sea of Gal- or when he was on the Sea of Galilee, and he preached to the multitudes, and he turned around to Peter, and he says, pull us out into the deep and drop your net. And Peter goes, but Lord. See, Peter was chairman of the butt club. Right? You know the butt club. You know, I've been president and chairman of the butt club. How many of you are active members? You know, I believe in healing, but I believe in prosperity, but there old Peter. But Lord, we fished all night and caught nothing. And, it's, you know, here's in back of Peter's mind, I just spent four and a half, five hours mending and cleaning the nets and getting them ready for tonight. And he says, go drop the nets in the middle of the day. Now, to a fisherman, that's suicide. <laughs> that's stupid, you know. But then again, he said, but as you say, Lord. And despite his natural thinking, he went out and dropped them nets. And when he dropped that net, that boat goes, it leaned almost immediately, started leaning. And he looked over the side and the fish were going on top of the water because the nets were full. And so he yelled out to his partners. And he says, come, fill your boat. I'm going to sink. And so they came and filled their boats, and they pulled both of the boats in. And both of the boats, they had so many fish that uh, both, both ships were nearly sinking. Now, that was in the middle of the day when you couldn't catch fish. See, that's the way God is. You know, you say, I ain't got another dime I can give towards evangelism. But my paycheck's already stretched to the maximum. You know, when you do what God tells you to do, He will multiply it back beyond your comprehension. It's especially good when you don't have it to give. 
if you don't have it to give, that's when God can really multiply it. <laughs> now, if you think I'm joking about it, when the Lord, on that mission center, when the Lord told me to go buy a house in Manila, I was an American. I couldn't even get a credit card in Manila with perfect credit in the States because I'm an American. How am I going to buy a house? I didn't have two pesos in my pocket to rub together. And he says, go buy a house. Now, what if I sat back and said, but Lord, I have no money. And don't even bother to make a call. That mission center wouldn't be there right now. If I just stuck with my natural thinking. Instead, I did just like Peter. I went against my natural thinking and did what God told me to do. Ho! Ho! Ho, ho! It don't have to make sense, guys. The more it doesn't make sense, the more it's God. There is a... uh, Envelope, I think. Has everybody received an envelope? Anybody got an envelope? (laughs) Has anybody got an envelope? If you hadn't got an envelope, hold your hand up. There you go. (laughs) If you don't want to hold your, if you don't want an envelope, don't hold your hand up. You want to take over? Anyway, that envelope's got a place on there that you can uh, fill out if you would like to be a partner with us. And uh, if you want to just stuff it full of million-dollar bills. Email address. Put your email address on there if you want to email. If you want to get our newsletter, if you're not getting it at this time. These newsletters, I've been told, are pretty pretty good if you read them. (laughs) They're... You know, the, the newsletter is a labor of love, and we try to tell you on a monthly basis what's going on. And I think we've had some pretty interesting newsletters. I've been told that. You know, you don't ever know for sure because you're the ones writing them, right? <laughs> but I think they're pretty good, and uh, they're very informative. And we just we try to hear the voice of the Lord and give you the message from God monthly. On that, and try to make it interesting. So, if you want to be on our mailing list, if you want to be a partner, we sure welcome you. All right, and you can put your offering back there in a special offering if you want to make a check. Or I already did, and just make it to the church, and we'll give them the money here in a minute. So uh, it's good ground, you know. I'm not an evangelist as such, but I'm part of an evangelist, and every. Uh, Penny you put in is coming back. Hey, hallelujah. All right. Thank you. Well, you're dismissed. <laughs>